because I was in that same meeting with David and uh, and a couple of things that that really caught my attention. First of all, um, you don't really see a lot of people that that have uh, I guess David's last name or my last name in that in in those kind of meetings, <laughs> right? Osorio Gonzalez. And and when I when I noticed that, I was like, you know, this is interesting. I, I need to I need to connect with David. This is Seeking Startups, a show that gives you an inside look into the minds of ambitious people who are trying to change the world. Learn about what they're building, their personal stories, and invest in the founders you believe in. Now with equity crowdfunding, anyone can invest in early stage private startups. If you're searching for entertaining, educational, and inspirational content about startup investing, this show is for you. I'm your host, Maxim Davis, and today on Seeking Startups, we have David Gonzalez and Fabio Osorio, the co-founders of Arbol. Even though David and Fabio grew up in two different parts of the world, both of them saw the value of education in helping the members of their communities climb the socioeconomic ladder. After college, their corporate roles in business and finance allowed them to gain a unique perspective. It became evident that the members of their communities didn't have the proper tools, mentorship, and financial support. And so from this experience, David and Fabio created Arbol a platform that connects low-income students to financial and community support. Listen in to this insightful talk about their experiences and how David and Fabio plan to drive change. Hey, I would like to quickly say that everything you hear in this podcast is only for informational and entertainment purposes. This is not financial advice and I'm not endorsing this company. Please do proper due diligence before investing in any startup. Okay, now let's get started. I would like to start by getting to know your company. And so what is Arbol? Arbol is a platform that helps low-income and first-generation college students uh, stay in school and graduate by connecting them with financial and community support. And so how does it work if a student wants to get that funding? How does a platform work for them? The way it works for the student is uh, we partner directly with colleges, universities, and affinity groups. Uh, to source our students. Uh, Students sign up with us. Uh, The first thing they do is uh, share a little bit of demographic detail about them, gives us a background, a better sense of who they are. Uh, They then book a meeting and complete a needs assessment. And during that needs assessment, we learn everything about the student's financial needs. Um, Leaving that that session, students understand how much money they need uh, to cover their living expenses on a per semester basis. At that point, they are then put on a wait list until we have the funding to help provision a micro grant for the student to spend on their life expenses on a daily basis. Um, so that's the way it works for the student. Um, once they do receive the funds, we put it in a debit card with controls. So it kind of has some guardrails or bumper cars so that they, uh, you know, they can't, you know, uh, go outside of their expenses. And uh, then they check in with us on a monthly basis. And then we continue to give them kind of strategic advice on how to navigate uh, school. On the, on the supporter side, we um, we have established a charitable foundation, which we are raising the funds to provision micro grants to the students for. Okay. And so the funds are received through, through crowdfunding or who uh, directly funds those students? Yeah, we have two sources. Right now, it's primarily first-generation college alumnus. Uh, so folks who understand the challenges that the students are going through and want to help. Right now, they go ahead and subscribe to the Arbo Community Fund and make a monthly contribution. So that money is uh, is then distributed to the students. The other source that we have is other organizations and foundations 
whose mission aligned that issue grants to Arbo, which again, we then uh, redistribute to the mm-hmm. students. That's where you are right now. But it sounds like you're moving towards that one-to-one connection between the funder and the uh, student. And so where do you see uh, Arbo going? Exactly. Uh, two places. So one is that we want to build that community around the students and supporters. Um, so we know that the, stu- that the financial aspect and the financial need for the student is just one is just one component of success. So we're also connecting them with uh, with business professionals, those who are giving back, so that they can start building that network that they don't have. Um, so that they can one better navigate the day to day of college life, and then two, um, you know, have a bridge into a professional career. The other aspect of it is that we're reimagining financial services for the students. So we want to continue to give them both the you know the financial products and services that are kind of guarded off for you know the wealthy right now. So one is that we want it, we will continue to give them that advice uh, and that financial planning component as they continue to encounter new scenarios. And then two, um, continue to give them more services. So for instance, uh, we have you know a student in uh, the first four semesters uh, just might need a little bit of money to be able to pay for uh, the cost, the non-tuition expenses that aren't covered under you know under their financial aid. Um, you know, fast forward to when they're a senior in college, um, they might need, they might have an interest in working with a startup like ours that doesn't provide relocation. And we might be able to give them a advance. So then they can go ahead and, you know, take that job and then pay that back once they start earning an income. So we're opening up or democratizing opportunity for, for these folks and meeting them where they are in their journey. The one thing that I would add to that, and I think David covered that really well, is that at the very core, um, you know, we we really believe in the potential and the talent that these students carry. Um, they have a, a huge potential to um, add significant value to the system, but due to the financial challenges they face today, the lack of uh, financial support and, and community, um, you know, they you know, it becomes really difficult for them to actually fulfill their goals, right? So many of them are underrepresented, uh, underestimated. Uh, at the very core of what we're trying to do is enable them to go from like where they are right now, uh, overcome those financial uh, obstacles, and they become huge contributors to society. Yeah, it sounds very mission-driven. And so your backgrounds give, a, I think, a good insight into why Arbol was started. So let's talk about your upbringing. And um, David, you, you grew up in Buffalo, New York. I'm thinking back to your childhood. You know, what are some of those memorable moments growing up that um, you think kind of guided you to to what you're doing today? You know, Buffalo is part of the Rust Belt, and um, you know what I what I grew up with and what I observed is a you know how shifting from a labor-based economy to a knowledge-based economy really impacted this area. And um, really what I learned is that uh, um, for my family, which was able to, you know, kind of migrated from Puerto Rico to Buffalo to work at uh, uh, the Lackawanna Steel Mill, Bethlehem Steel, if you you remember, and um, kind of can go from low-income poor to you know, instantly making money and mm-hmm. uh, money that kind of propped us up into the middle class that then gave me the opportunity to go ahead and, and pursue a college degree. Um, what I observed when I grew up was that kind of bridge uh, kind of 
disappearing to the point where it doesn't exist anymore and started to see communities around me suffer. And um, because it takes a long time, right? Like knowledge-based economy, you, you have to spend potentially two, almost a decade and a half to maybe two decades of studying uh, before you you start earning an income. And that's just too long for a lot of folks that, that are around me. So that's kind of, you know, why I was motivated to create Arbo is how do we, you know, provide uh, the financing, the knowledge and the guidance to, to the talented people who are just being failed by the way the system's designed today and have kind of been left behind with the economic shifts. Right, right. And Fabio, um, you also have a immigrant background. And so you, you grew up in Peru. What was that like growing up in, in you know, a different part of the world? I mean, very different. Um, you know, my, my family back in Peru, uh, we barely had any money. Um, you know, but we always grew up talking about money, <laughs> the lack of money. Um, and, uh, but my parents believe in education, even though they didn't complete their education back in Peru. I know my mom wanted to be an engineer slash architect. My dad, I think, wanted to explore becoming a lawyer, uh, but never really get a chance to complete that. Um, they both believe that education could pay dividends, uh, for my brother and I. Um, so they essentially decided to, uh, relocate to the U.S. with that belief. Um, apply for a residency, waited 13 years. Um, and when we finally got a chance to move, um, we knew that it was, uh, you know, game on and, uh, we, we moved to, to work really hard and access an education. Um, very quickly, I realized that, uh, it, it, you know, to uh, reboot or restart your life in a new country is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you move with no, no support system, um, no money, no English. Um, and then uh, in my case, um, you know, I, my goal was to get into college uh, and get a degree and then eventually get a job. Um, fortunately, and, and I think my interest in finance was fueled by the fact that we talked about money all the time and the lack of money. Mm -hmm. um, I discovered that, you know, a, a career in wealth management, financial planning, um, so literally right after getting my degree, I, I went to work for a financial institution in, in North Carolina where I work in wealth management and financial planning for close to 10 years. Um, and, uh, and I loved it. Um, but that also became, a um, a huge opportunity for me to contrast kind of like the people that I was working with, the people that I was helping versus the people that I grew up with and my personal upbringing. And, and the question that I kept asking myself was, um, what, why is it that, you know, only a certain community of people have access to the best support, um, to the best tools, um, and the other group, your ordinary American doesn't have access to that in a cost-effective manner. Um, and that became the trigger for me, um, to want to explore ideas or initiatives that, um, could help, um, your, your ordinary American to access, you know, more financial support in the longer term. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. We're definitely going to get into that part of the career and how that influenced you later down the road. But what I'm curious about is that early part for you, because I know a lot of immigrants they are hardworking and they're you know they're trying to to grow in that uh, social ladder, but a lot of them don't have those opportunities. And so, what do you think your parents brought to you and, and helped you get to that point where you could break through and get to that next level? You know, when I think about 
you know, my, my biggest role model, um, I think it was my, my mom. Uh, I mean, both of my parents instilled in me, I think, really good habits and, and values. Um, but I think it was my mom who was uh, kind of like uh, nudging me in the right direction. Um, she was the one who suggested that I look for jobs in banking. Um, she was the one who suggested that I, that I do well academically. Um, she was the one that encouraged me to um, do well in my, my science and, and math classes. Um, so I, I, think, I think my mom um, probably was the one who uh, was really persistent and ongoing and consistent on uh, making sure that I was uh, you know, following a path that um, you know, in the longer term would help me achieve you know, some of the goals that at the, at the, you know, back then I wasn't even considering. Mm, um, right. That was one. And then two is just, you know, fortunately, I, I, uh, I met people, I think, along the way that carry similar interests um, back in college too. people who was passionate about economics and finance, and they really um, nudged me to, you know, pursue a career in that direction later on. Right. And, and for you, David, what do you think that motivation was to help you get through that? Because it is challenging. I mean, education is a way out. But w- what do you think was that motivation for you? For me, it was the motivation to make change and to make it easier for the people that come after me. I think um, I was always kind of driven to, um, you know, growing up on super competitive. (laughs) So for me, I was, uh, and I still am today, uh, played, you know, football, baseball, basketball in high school, football in college. And you know, intrinsically, you know, I was always kind of, um, drawn to business and, um, you know, I, I think it's kind of like the, uh, professional version of, uh, <laughs> of sport, if that makes sense. Uh, so I was always kind of drawn that direction. I think like, uh, at my core though, I was always looking for ways to be able to take, you know, take my skills and try to reimagine, like, kind of like, uh, prop up or, or kind of like transform the world around me. Like that was just like the thing. Mm-hmm. Like I see it. I like I go back to Buffalo to, at my core, and I'm just like, why is Buffalo not thriving? Why aren't the people not thriving? And how can I, you know, use a business lens to be able to change that? And that's always kind of at my core is what, what kind of drew, what drove me the entire time. I would say from my my personal influences, I think um, my you know my mom and dad kind of come from humble beginnings. I watched my dad work his butt off. I watched my mom start off as a stay-at-home mom and uh, then go ahead later on and get, uh, you know, an associate's degree and become an optician. Um, Mm -hmm. I couldn't help but wonder for both of them if they were started in a different point in life or maybe where I was started, what they would be doing. And that was always kind of like what would kind of what driven me it's kind of like i can always see the talent in others <laughs> so like i'm just like how do we activate that at scale um i my personal um my personal experiences with climbing that ladder was was interesting i, I always fancied myself to be pretty talented uh achieved pretty highly and then i all of a sudden once i got out of college and it was time to get that first job that's when i realized i was at a pretty big disadvantage <laughs> being in buffalo and not having a pre-existing network i think that's where i was like oh okay this is different um 
I see my peers getting internships. I was better at school than them. Why is that? Right. <laughs> and right, uh, right. and I kind of learned that like, hey, look, I didn't have that social network and uh, quickly learned that I needed to kind of develop that part of it. When we come back, you'll get to hear how David turned to his entrepreneurial spirit to create his next opportunity. But before that, here's how you can personally invest in Arbol. Arbol is currently raising up to $250,000 at a $2.5 million valuation cap on WeFunder. The current minimum investment amount is $100 per investor. Funding is currently open but is scheduled to close on April 30th, 2023. But if they hit their maximum funding limit before then, you'll be directed to their waitlist. If you're interested in getting more information, check the show notes below where you can find a link to their funding page. And so you're looking for an internship. Yes. Some of your peers are getting that and you know, you're, you're struggling. It, it, it's hard. And so what do you do? What, what, what's your plan? And, and how do you, how do you grow from there? Uh, my entrepreneurial spirit to hold, I actually was like, okay, I knew I wanted to get into digital marketing. Uh, at the time, like Facebook was emergent and they just launched their, uh, their marketing platform where they just started enabling folks to advertise. Um, you had Google SEM for a little bit. It's been around for a while, but anyways, I, I took a strong interest in that and technology in general. Um, and what I did was like, Hey, I'm just going to go. If the corporations aren't going to let me in right now, I'm just going to go door to door to the small businesses. <laughs> I literally went <laughs> and went door to door to small businesses wow. uh, to uh, to see if I could just put my skills to use um, and just just kind of like at the time early YouTube and just kind of self taught uh, to be able to, to deepen my skills. Um, I had uh, the first opportunity I got was from a local chocolateer called Fowler's Chocolates. Long story short, they just set up an e-commerce site and they mm-hmm. weren't getting any traffic and um, was able to, you know, turn that around fairly quickly. Uh, took a look at their CRM, identified folks who lived outside of Buffalo, but still wanted to buy chocolates. Um, and there's, and there's a specific uh, product called sponge candy that's unique to the area and, um, found them on, found, uh, people who, whose hometown was, was Buffalo who were living away from Buffalo on Facebook and just targeted the hell out of them and kind of grew their, 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 uh, their orders wow. pretty significantly. That was my starting point. At that point, um, I started to build that little bit of a business. I ended up getting about a half dozen local clients, uh, finally got that internship and, uh, at a, big co called uh Delaware North. It was in operations and, and human resources at the time and um learned a lot. I was in sports service, um uh which is a division that provides like all of the food and retail uh at uh sports stadiums throughout uh actually internationally now. Um so I was connected with uh her name's Carrie David, uh VP of HR at the time. And I was telling her, like, man, I'm struggling to get these. Like, this took me forever to get this internship. So she sat me down. I was like, okay, here's the playbook for you to go get. What I want you to give me a project and said, hey, I want you to learn how to recruit, you know, put to, put together the recruiting playbook for, for Delaware North. Did that and then kind of understood what recruiters were looking for. And then also kind of sat down and we weekly she recorded me interviewing <laughs> and uh, I kind of got that feedback and then she kind of coached me through it. And then after that, I learned how to like uh, identify, you know, kind of like make a short list of target companies 
identify the people at, at the companies that were hiring and then how to market myself to them and then interview well. Um, so I learned the skills, kind of went to what I end up working at my my big break was like HSBC, right. product manager there uh, in, uh, and the digital banking team uh, helped kind of, you know, transform the contact center, implemented like uh, conversational AI tools for that were both consumer and, and, uh, and uh, back office facing. Um, did that for about four years. Uh, moved on and kind of like had a lot of success. Moved on to a regional bank called M and T Bank. That's actually where I met Fabio. Okay, uh, had the opportunity to be uh, on uh, the strategy team uh, as vice president of innovation. Um, at that point, I was you know talking with startups on a, specifically in this fintech space on a daily basis, uh, pretty much evaluating them for partnership and acquisition opportunities. Then kind of came to the conclusion that I really want to work in a startup. <laughs> so um, I uh, I started kind of like having conversations or chats with the with the folks I was uh, that I was that I was meeting. I came across a company called Kangaroo Time, which uh, which had moved to Buffalo um, to be part of a, a incubator that was growing or an accelerator program that was growing significantly in the area called Forty Three North. Uh, came across Scott and he had a, uh, had a FinTech product manager role. I was like, Hey, this is the perfect job for me. <laughs> um, I, you know, are you still, are you still interviewing? He's like, we're towards the, the last half of the interviews, but, uh, and we have our finalists, but let's talk long story short, talk to him, talk to a CTO, got the job. First day in the job spoke with, with Scott and said, Hey, you know, what I really want is to be able to to found my own company. Um, I don't know what the company is yet, but I want to. But but I know I'm going to figure that out. Right. Um, will you be able to 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 mentor me on that? And pretty much started informal apprenticeship with him. Uh, was in the boardrooms, putting together the decks, uh, helping them fundraise. You know, helping think through what it's like to kind of scale a team from like six to fifty at the time when I left. Um, and then continued to grow and ended as a chief operating officer there. Um, and I'm endlessly grateful for that experience because he was able to kind of put, bring me behind the scenes to understand what the life of a founder is. And we've been through it all, everything from like uh, having to navigate through COVID and the, like having to put in plans to take you know revenue down to zero and having those hard conversations on who we'd lay off or furlough. Um, navigating out of that to the point where we were super successful and then figuring out how do we scale teams and transition folks who were doing everything to specialist roles and going through those growing pains, expanding new markets. But um, but that was super cool. So that's kind of where I ended. And then uh, long story short, when Fabio and I came together, he, he and I kind of like came to the idea that like financial services doesn't work for the people that need it the most. In the background, we were ideating on and what ended up being our boat today. I can see that you know progression from trying to get that internship, finding mentors, building up, building up into the point where you saw a problem and you said, you know, I I want to I want to solve it. That's super fascinating. And and for you, Fabio, you did end up going to Duke, and Duke is a very prestigious school, and you know, getting into such a school is is very challenging. Can you talk about your college experience and, and, and how that uh, influenced you later down the road? I think, um, I mean, the Duke community, I think, uh, is amazing in terms of uh, 
providing uh, collaboration and and um, the one thing that I, I I value the most about the Duke community is that it feels like one big university. Um, it it doesn't matter whether you are going to the school of business or undergrad or um, you know the school of, of, of law or public policy. You can literally reach out to to anyone there, and anyone is willing to support you and at least listen to your story and figure out how they can help. Mm. Um, so I think that that was huge for for me at a uh, at a stage in my life when I was looking for a little bit of guidance. Um, it was there too where I discovered uh, you know a passion for for business uh, that that you know was solidified, and at the same time I became more passionate about social entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, Duke, Duke has a huge community around that as well. Um, you know, so I think I think all of that really provided with a great platform for me to uh, meet people from many different backgrounds, um, solidified my my passion for for economics and business, and then discover new things such as social entrepreneurship. Right, right. Let's go uh, into what you did after that. So um, you graduated from school and. What was one of your first roles? My first job out of uh, school was, um, so I had just graduated, I guess, during the financial debacle. Wow. Um, and, uh, and it was challenging. I, I knew I wanted to go into finance. I, I had done an internship at T. Rowe Price. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to turn that into a full-time opportunity, but, you know, the environment became really, really challenging for me and for many other people that were graduating at the same time. Right. Uh, I didn't want to wait for, for the next opportunity to come to me. I didn't want to sit on my hands. So I immediately went to, there was a car dealership <laughs> right across the street from my house. So I, I went to, to that dealership. I knocked on the door and I asked for a job. Wow. And they, they gave me a job. Um, and I worked there for a few months. And then immediately right after, uh, and I was still you know, thinking about uh, the idea of exploring a, 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 an opportunity to to be in financial services. So immediately, uh, shortly after that opportunity came up, and and I relocated to to North Carolina, where I work in wealth management, financial planning. A lot of people think that wealth management is only about investments, but quickly mm-hmm. I learned that it's way more than that. Right? There is uh, estate planning, tax planning, uh, you know, risk management from an insurance perspective. Uh, investments is is part of that, uh, and at the very core, it's really about taking a holistic and comprehensive view of the client's overall financial picture. Um, so it was it was a really good experience, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, it was there where I get a chance to work with clients that had you know millions of dollars in their in their brokerage accounts, and 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 I was contrasting that with my upbringing, <laughs> you know, coming to the U.S. with no money, no English, nothing. Yeah. And back in Peru, we used to live in a little in a little room. Um, so and I was wondering, like, I knew that, uh, you know, they were very well positioned financially. Um, why is that? Right. I keep asking myself that question. Um, how, how can we make the same resources and tools available? to people like my parents, right? Uh, to people like me when I was just in college. Um, and, uh, and, and like, how do, we, how do we turn this upside down a bit? Um, so that was a great experience for me from a financial perspective to understand how wealth management and personal financials work, but also to take a look at the existing system and figure out how to, how to improve it. 
Just curious, um, what did you learn through that process? What were that some of the tools that you wanted to bring to maybe some of the people you're trying to help? I think uh, you know, working along someone, an expert um, that uh, were, was able to walk them through that process from beginning to end, um, providing them with a blueprint or a roadmap, um, and helping them assess kind of like where they are right now, what's important to them. And then what's important to them in the in the future, I think is I think is key. Um, right. And David and I are seeing a you know a lot of that too as we are, you know, working on, on you know building up Arbol. Mm-hmm. Where are we today? Where do we want to be tomorrow? And then what do we need to go from from kind of like you know point A to point B? And then I would argue that um it, you know, having a, a fantastic plan is just is just one element right uh, i would argue that probably more importantly is the execution of that plan so again right having a, a someone to to support you like a wealth advisor um or a financial planner um that is now connecting you to um you know a trust advisor who can help you you know build a you know develop a trust or or um you know working along a state planner who can help you transition your your business to a family member right so having helping you execute on that plan i think is also key let's talk about that that time when you guys did meet because um, it sounds like maybe there was something that you saw in each other that led you to become partners and so uh, what was that like so fabio and i met at the time there was a uh, a project called janice um and long story short it was um the intention of it was to shift from an M&A strategy to an organic growth strategy at, at M&T Bank. Um, if you look at the bank's history, it's grown through M&A, like that, that's the way it's been successful. It hasn't done really well with being able to, you know, uh, customer acquisition directly, right? So long story short, um, there is a, 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 a customer segment called the unbanked and underserved. and um, Fabio and I were tossed on a, on a on a little project together that we were working on, and uh, and we kind of came to a conclusion that you know the bank really you know some, the bank isn't really going to be able to fulfill some of these these ideas that we had. And Fabio at the time just had, and still today, <laughs> just had like a notebook of ideas and just was like <laughs> pitching them. And we were in a room for like ninety minutes just going. And I'm just like Jesus, <laughs> these are these are amazing ideas. Uh, and then mutually, we kind of came to the conclusion that, like, you know, uh, we can try to go and pitch this to the rest of the bank and get the buy-in or whatever. Why don't we just shift some of these ideas and uh, meet on nights and weekends to see if we can flesh some of them out? Um, met on nights and weekends. Uh, <laughs> so I would I would leave Kangaroo time sometimes and go directly into, like, this shared office space with, with Fabio. <laughs> and then we would just go and kind of, like, <laughs> we'd go in on the whiteboard and then spend the, the second half and, and do customer discovery and ethnographic research and talk to students. And all of a sudden, we, we got to the point where, like, we we have something here. Right. <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were pumped about it, but then we were uncertain. So I went to Scott and said, like, where did you, before you, <laughs> before you, you know, were confident that kangaroo time was something that you wanted to invest your time and effort in, um, or how'd you know you had something? He was like, okay, take it to a, a accelerator program called Bonders Institute. And um, if you come out of there with a business on the other side, you know, you're ready. So 
Fabio and I went and we signed up for Founder Institute and um, graduated like fourth in the class. And we're like, uh, I guess it's time to, <laughs> to start planning our exit from our jobs and, and do this full time. And yeah, but that's how we how we how we met. And I would say like um, one thing that like works really well for us, I think like we like especially at the ideation session or just kind of like finding solutions to problems, I think like uh, put us in a room together and we'll, we'll, we'll come out with uh, dozens of ideas that we can activate against. <laughs> I think if I may add to that, I think we both get highly energized by, by problems <laughs> and, and we, we like wrestling with problems and then we try to turn those into opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both of us, when you tell me about Founders Institute, David, I think we both signed up immediately the same day um, because we wanted to do this for quite some time. And, and if, if I can go back, um, you know, a little bit, because I was in that same meeting with David and, uh, and a couple of things that, that really caught my attention. First of all, um, you don't really see a lot of people that, that have, uh, I guess David's last name or my last name in that, in, in those kind of meetings, <laughs> right? Osorio Gonzalez. And, and when I, when I noticed that, I was like, you know, this is interesting. I, I need to, I need to connect with David. Um, so David and I found some time outside of that meeting and then later on to talk about just, you know, the overall financial industry, you know, his interests, my interests. I think that first conversation we had was about the usage of, of alternative data in the, uh, long underwriting process. <laughs> and David has some, some uh, really interesting comments and perspectives. And I, and I was really energized by that. Um, because I had been talking to a lot of people about similar concepts and it, it, some of those conversations weren't really getting a lot of traction. Um, but with David, I, I felt like I, I, you know, was able to go deep into some of these conversations. Right. So it sounds like you really, you know, had a connection there because the problems that you were facing were maybe not some of the problems that other people in that room were facing because of your upbringing, because of your background. That's really, it sounds like what brought you guys together, which that's amazing to, to see that. Hey, are you a founder looking to raise capital? Have you tried all of the traditional methods and have come up short? Well, maybe it's time to try something new. Maybe it's time to raise capital from your customers and your biggest fans. Maybe it's time to try equity crowdfunding. I've personally seen the power of raising money through this process. And frankly, that's why I bring you this podcast. I'm a big advocate. And so if you're interested, get started with your first regulation crowdfunding raise by using my referral code in the description. And better yet, by using this link, you can get $2,500 off your final fundraising fee. So go ahead and give it a try. I think that many people, you know, see an idealized form of entrepreneurship but, you know, starting a company is very hard. I'm sure, David, you've seen that, you know, at Kangaroo Time. And so can you speak about some of those difficult times you faced while, you know, trying to get this company off the ground? Yeah, it <laughs> it's fun. I mean, the first things first is, you know, deciding to leave uh, a job title with, you know, three three letters behind your name is is tough <laughs> especially one that's starting to kind of take off so that was a that was a really big tough decision for me um and um that's one aspect to it the second is the financial aspect to it right um you know it's uh, it's a big risk you're you're going down a 10 year journey of of uh you know in, in the beginning no salary which is what it's like now to you know, paying yourself a modest salary and having a lot of your worth tied up in equity that you need to 
you know, to prove out. Sure. <laughs> and uh, that's a big decision. And getting your, you know, fortunate, fortunately, like family, friends, um, you know, significant others, all were supportive of that goal, uh, or all were supportive of that decision, which I feel very um, uh, blessed and and lucky to have because. Uh, those aren't easy <laughs> decisions and conversations. So I would say number one is uh, make sure that your team's on board with you because um, you're going to need that support system. I think number two, what was really tough for me in the beginning was um, was uh, we kind of got like lo- a lot of local press uh, around it early, which was exciting and gave us momentum boosts. But uh, it also was, uh, you know, I-, I don't think I was ever that, it was kind of like a, like a local famous or like a little, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit of local fame. And it kind of like freaked me out for a little bit. Interesting. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was definitely something that I experienced initially was kind of like, you know, just, it felt like heightened amount of pressure. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, people actually believe in me and Fabio and what we're doing. And, you know, not only did I not want to let myself down and Fabio down and the, you know, the students that were trying to help and my families, but then it's all of a sudden there's people on the street recognizing who we are and <laughs> they're rooting us on. And it's just kind of like, oh, geez. So it, the gravity of it felt really big. I think that was like the starting point. And, you know, I think over time, you know, Fabio and I talked through some of that stuff and got got grounded again and, and got focused. Um, so that was one. Um the, the second bit of it, like actually working on the day to day, I mean, things change. The life cycle, we talk about this all the time. The life cycles are so fast. I mean, sometimes a day feels like a week, a week feels like a month, a month feels like a year ago. I mean, it is so crazy how much we, how much information or how much stuff or how much, how many, how much information we, we sift through, how many meetings we go through, how many iterations of, just product or like product ideas or strategies that we go through. Um, Things are constantly changing. Yeah. And so it's constantly changing and, uh, and and it's kind of a fun ride, but at the same time, it's like, holy, (laughs) holy crap. (laughs) Like things have, things have really went from A to B pretty fast. Um, So I think you have to get ready for, to, for things to change. Um, uh, The other thing is kind of like um, finding product, product market fit's been, been fun. Um, and, uh, I guess embracing that, like, you're not going to have that at your first swing at a bat and, you know, but every time it feels like you get just every time you get a new insight that brings you a little bit closer, brings you a little bit closer and brings you a little bit closer. And you just have to be open to that process. It's, it's a humbling process, but once you buy into it, you know, you get a little bit more successful every time. So the only thing that I would add to that is, um, I think to do this, you really have to, you have to be passionate about it. I, I don't think. I think both David and I see this as um, really as having fun. Um, so it doesn't really feel like work for us. Um, yeah, I mean, just like just like anything else. I mean, eventually you get to take a break and and recharge and and uh, you know take a look at things where they are and where you want to be. But I mean, overall, I think we both enjoy it a lot. You know, it, it energizes us. Um, in terms of challenges, the only thing that I would add is, uh, I guess you know, in my uh, in my experience is, uh, you know, lack of funding. Um, you know, I come from a community where, you know, <laughs> I can reach out to my, to my uncle or, or my aunt and, or, you know, and it's, uh, the financial support isn't there. Right. And, and this applies to just from doing research and, and personal experience. I mean, this applies to many other communities of color, uh, that don't necessarily start with, 
you know, that financial support that perhaps other communities start with. Yeah, I mean, funding is obviously very important to really fueling that growth. And so how are you approaching that problem? How are you trying to make sure that, you know, Arbel has the right amount of funding to accomplish its goal? Uh, number one, take everything I learned from Kangaroo Time. Uh, the uh, the uh, the pleasure or the, I was lucky enough to kind of see what uh, two fundraising cycles look like and uh, what made us successful and what gave us some challenges. Um, that was number one. Um, specifically, if I was bring that down a level, um, you know, started with early supporters, friends, family, uh, people who really believed in us. I think that was kind of what we knew that we were selling was, hey, David and Fabio uh, are going to figure figure something out or they're going to figure this out. And I think that is pretty much all you got early on <laughs> is, uh, is, you know, belief in you. And sure. that's kind of um, tap. Don't be afraid to tap into that, I would say, um, because that, that'll get you started. Uh, second is starting to have those first conversations, introducing who we are to everyone and what the problem is that we're solving and the market opportunity. Um, and, um, and having those conversations, even if, you know, a lot of times you're going to get no's, you're going to get passed it, you're going to get passed on, get used to that, but at least, you know, get them into your newsletter and um and demonstrate progress and they'll start to understand the business a little bit more and understand that you can execute that's how we started to pick up our first angels so like phase step one was friends and families early supporters that believed in us mentors um then we had initial conversations with you know angel investors people who demonstrated that they write checks um and um got them into our mailing list and our newsletter and just was really consistent with communicating how we're executing against the business and what we're learning. And then we're able to pick up our second wave of uh, investors. And then uh, three is then kind of like uh, accelerators. So um, we are in two local accelerators. One is uh, the UB Cultivator, or University of Buffalo Cultivator, which is a good match for us based on our mission. And another one is kind of, is called Launch New York in Buffalo. And it's just another, uh, another source for us to be able to not just get the capital, but the, you know, access to startup community in Buffalo and also uh, leverage the networks into the institutional rounds that will be coming around the corner. So that's mm -hmm. how we're setting ourselves up. Right. Um, Fabio, I'm curious, how did you come up with the name Arbel? We, we are a little bit nerdy, uh, <laughs> you know, in our, in our own personal times. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think we bump into an article that uh, uh, was about trees and, we learned how quick we learned very quickly that trees are very very communal species, um, and uh, you know they use their underground network of of roots to share nutrients, communicate with each other, uh, protect each other, and uh, and I think that captures uh, kind of like the essence of what uh, arbol is. So we so arbol uh, means tree in Spanish. Um, and uh, we felt that it would be, uh, you know, a carry presence. <laughs> uh, it was a short name, uh, just a couple of syllables. Uh, and, uh, and it was also in Spanish. Um, and I think that also aligns with, you know, uh, my background and David's background. Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting. Let's talk about the, the company specifics. I'd like to get to kind of know more and understand how it all works. And so as you gain funding, is that money pooled and then 
distributed equally amongst students? Or can a funder directly and donate to a specific student and, and really create that connection and, and feel like their money is is impacting someone directly? So right now, uh, as we get started and as we continue to grow our, uh, you know, both sides of the platform, um, we have uh, folks or supporters donate to a general fund, uh, it's a charitable fund that we've set up uh, that gives them a tax receipt. Uh, that money then goes directly to a student or to the students uh, that are participating in Arbo. Uh, we then allow the, it's kind of like access. And then we then allow the uh, students and supporters to be able to match up. So um, I can go ahead and we have like a, a student named Sarah, who's a virologist. Uh, she's matched with people and, you know, with uh, supporters who are, uh, you know, in the medical field, like nurses. I've taken a, a strong interest in her and they kind of talk through, you know, what it's like going through, um, you know, going through college and, and kind of studying for, you know, like biology exams and stuff like that and, and kind of advice and guidance on that front. Um, so that's kind of phase one of the business. Um, we're then setting up to the point as we get uh, more diversity on both sides, uh, the ability for the, uh, for an individual supporter to be able to, uh, contribute to an individual student. Uh, and uh, the reason why that we're going in that phase is because we want to be able to set up the student with the base. So rather than putting the student who have urgent needs in the need or in, in the situation to have to go kind of raise the funds on their own, um, we want to establish our students with the base and then allow them to go get additional funds for you know their non-essentials. And to ground that and to root that a little bit more is um, like basic needs come first for Arbo. So, you know, if a student needs funds to cover food, groceries, um, transportation, uh, you know, uh, housing, any of those things, we make sure from that general fund that that money goes there. But then students sometimes say a little bit more, right? Like um, I didn't get the opportunity to go uh, study abroad. I just couldn't afford it. Uh, that's where we're allowing the, uh, or we're enabling the uh, individual supporters to be able to, to, to donate or contribute towards an individual goal. When I think of, you know, the donation space, when someone has a direct connection to the success or the support of a cause, they, they're more likely to contribute. And so I think that's really a differentiator that could uh, make Arbol um, successful one thing that's interesting about that is, is that support, that money that the individual gives to a specific student, would that be tax deductible or is that considered a gift? If you're to give directly to, uh, like if you pick a student, that's not tax deductible. Um, you know, uh, but if you were to give to a set of students, that is tax deductible. So really much the the... the the, the, the reason is uh, IRS is trying to make it so that uh, you can't necessarily save a bunch of money and then, you know, handpick your child and then kind of double dip or get a, hmm. a, a tax benefit that way. Uh, so there has to be some level of anonymity before you before you uh, send money for the, the gift to be a charitable gift. That's why we've set it up where that first step is that like, hey, you know, even if it's a small amount, give towards that general fund. 
then we let you peek behind the curtain and start developing those relationships with the students. And then you can give uh, uh, whatever you like. And that that's proven to be successful. So far. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show. But before we hear about David and Fabio's vision for Arbol, thought you might be interested in hearing a few stats about the company. The company is currently headquartered in Buffalo, New York. David and Fabio have graduated from Founders Institute and have been accepted into two accelerator programs. Arbol currently has 15 students in the beta program with two students that have been fully funded. The company has over 4,000 students on the waitlist. And in 2021, Arbol was running pre-revenue with a net loss of $12,794. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. So Fabio, what is the end goal for the company? Like you look out 10 years, where do you think, you know, you'd be happy to see Arbol be at that point? I think both David and I, I think, would be um, happy with, um, one, making sure that uh, the people that have the most support today, that need the most support today, actually receive it. So we love to see more students stay in school and graduate, right? We know today that there are about 8 million low-income college students and only 20% of them graduate. So we love for them to, to stay in school and graduate and then, you know, those those students that are talking about becoming doctors, becoming engineers, uh, becoming software developers, whatever your career path may be, uh, if we can help them become become that, I think that that would be huge. Um, the other aspect of this would be to um, we really envision a company where we have an opportunity to reimagine literally all of financial services. Take a look at the existing tools and, and resources that uh, people have access to and, uh, you know, put those tools to work to, to the students and other people that really need it the most, right? So sometimes you have to uh, start from zero. <laughs> you have to take a look at how things work today, re-engineer them, and then uh, in the process of doing that, you discover new things and you discover that, yeah, you can you can take a you know, a financial plan that is normally only offered or only available to a wealth, a private wealth customer. Uh, but now, hey, uh, you know, this is available to literally anyone and everyone. So democratizing that opportunity is at the very core of what we want to achieve today and where we see ourselves getting to in the longer term as well. Being that, you know, it is this opportunity, you will face competitors, right? I mean, it's just a natural evolution of a startup. And so can you talk about what you're doing to protect your business from, from competitors? To be clear, I'd say our competitors right now are, you know, college endowments and scholarship funds right now. Um, so that's where most of the, the, the money's going to. It's about $70 billion market, the uh, charitable giving specifically to education. And, um, you know, we're taking a piece of that. Um, so we protect our, or the way that we uh, that we win is creating you know a competitive advantage, and our competitive advantage is the following: is number one, demonstrating to the uh, donors that uh, we're having greater impact <laughs> than the uh, you know than the alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, we're dem- we're we're not just. You know, the money isn't just going to a general fund that is just go that is being used for buildings and other things. Um, it's going directly into the students' hands, 
And then we're also backing the students with a community of people who help them stay in college. And then they also have access to our team of financial planners who make sure that they're not just, you know, just have the finances, but they're also have the knowledge to be able to, you know, use those finances correctly and effectively. So that's where we become distinct uh, from, you know, maybe like a scholarship fund and or some of these other places or some of these other uh, solutions that are out there. Um, and then lastly, I think it's like the community. Um, I think that's where we're going to win is by standing up a community of, you know, first generation college students, first generation college graduates. Um and allowing that to continue to continue to grow. I mean, first generation college students, the students that we're working with have already committed to becoming donors when they graduate. So as we continue to scale, we're kind of um we're shifting the paradigm of, of folks, right? Like, hey, give back. Um, you know, I've been helped with community and financial support. You know, I'm now gonna gonna pay that forward. And that's that's the that's actually one of the first names of the of the company was pay it forward. Uh but um but yeah, that that's where we win is by standing up that community and, and making sure that the impact is directly with people and not necessarily to organizations. The other thing that I would add to that is the um uh, it, it feels a little bit early to think about this, but you know, it's it's uh the people, right, that we bring on board. Um, you know, David and I already are spending a, a good amount of time thinking about who who is that individual? What are those attributes, right, that we need to look for in people um, and and have them join our ball, right? Um, and it's it's I think it it takes a, a very special person <laughs> to to uh, you know have a, a desire to work in a in a company that you know cares about the impact. Uh, Cares about that intersection between, um, you know, uh, you know, growing up as a business, uh, you know, getting a speed to market, a scalability, but at the same time, you know, making an impact in the world. I mean, is is huge. Um, and we know that the the first, you know, fifteen to twenty people that we hire are essentially going to get, are going to build a foundation of Arbol, right? And and you know, that's going to be key for us to be able to you know, uh, compete, uh, in the marketplace, but more, more importantly too, is, is being adaptable. Um, right. As, as things continue to change, you know, you need the right team to be able to, to change quickly and, and change well enough. Right. As, as all of that continues to, to, uh, take shape. Um, the other thing that I want to say is we do talk a lot about competition, <laughs> but more importantly, we do care about our customers more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I think you know we we um, don't necessarily just uh, talk about about competitors as a potential challenge. I I I I go to bed thinking about like have we have we developed something that customers really care about? <laughs> uh, that's that's my biggest fear. Um, and so that's why David and I are constantly talking to to both supporters, donors, as well as the students. David mentions that competitive aspect being that community. And one thing that's interesting about Arbol is the social aspect. And one thing that I've noticed also is both of you have had mentors and have had people that have helped guide you. And so can you talk about that social aspect, how individual supporters, you know, can help not in a monetary sense, but in a a mentor sense and how um, you're helping the students learn financial literacy? 
So uh, on the mentorship side, that's uh, number one is that we're collecting uh, demographic data on both the students and the supporters. It's pretty much just like a social profile. But that allow, what that allows us to do is uh, make predictions on who would be matched or who would be best matches for each other. Um, and uh, we're already facilitating those things. So like I referenced earlier, Sarah gets connected, has already connected with, uh, you know, medical professionals. And it's kind of helped her to be able to kind of ask some questions about like, you know, what classes should I take? Uh, how would you approach this subject? And then also kind of visualize what it what it's like to actually work in a hospital. <laughs> so that's been uh, that's been pretty cool for for her. Um, and we continue to kind of facilitate those matches. Uh, and that continues to kind of reinforce uh, that kind of component of community and that component of advice and guidance uh, to the platform. Um, number two, uh, the finance, the service that we're giving to the students, uh, as far as financial services is concerned, is we're, we're creating what we are terming financial balance. So we give the student the money to cover their life expenses, but then we're also giving them the tooling, the financial literacy part of it. Uh, you, what you'll find in the market a lot of times is you get one or the other and not both. <laughs> um, a lot of times we talk about giving financial, financial literacy and you can take a class on how to create a budget, learn how to understand what your needs are, but if I don't put money in your hands, it's kind of pointless activity. <laughs> um, a lot of times I can put money in your hands. Like for instance, we have a lot of students that maybe draw, that draw extra on their student loans uh, to be able to cover some of their expenses, but they have no idea, you know, they really struggle with budgeting, run out of money quickly, start scrambling, or are working all these hours at, at you know, all, all these hours, like 40 plus hours, plus going to school full time, and don't really understand how much they need to work so that they can focus on their, on, on their studies. Um, so we bring visibility to that. So on that first point of interaction with the students, they hop on a Zoom, um, they talk to Fabio or one of our other financial planners and they, you know, they walk through a needs assessment and, and understand holistically, you know, every, you know, what is their current financial state? And then we then layer on, okay, here's your, here's your need. <laughs> and then we take from our Arbo community fund and provision a micro grant, you know, in, in a, in a debit card with controls. And that debit card is that kind of like, uh, that other piece that gives the students some financial independence where they can go ahead and spend with those controls. Um, then, but then also, um, uh, but, but then also allows them to kind of like, uh, prevent mistakes. So like certain merchants would be blocked and whatnot. Um, and then the last component to it is, you know, they check in with us monthly. So once they do go off and start spending, uh, they then have a monthly uh, conversation with us to be able to talk about like how is it going, how are you, how are you performing against your plan, and uh, you know how has your situation changed since, um, and and we can adjust to that. So uh, that's what we offer for the students. That's because I mean life life changes over time, right? Yeah. I mean priorities <laughs> change over time, right. and you know your experiences as a sophomore in college are probably going to be very different than your experiences as a as a junior or senior in college. Um, the other thing is, uh, again, going back to how we approach an ease assessment process is very holistic. Um, you know, it's not just about how much money you need to set aside for this or for that, but in many cases, you also need to account for family situation, right? You need to account for how much debt have you, have you already accumulated? 
um, you know, are you borrowing in the form of student loans, mm -hmm. uh, government backed, or are you borrowing in the form of private loans? If so, how big is that right now? And what's the rate on that? Right? Are you paying off the interest today or are you delaying those payments until later? So, uh, you can see that, you know, uh, you know, we start really broad, take a, take a snapshot of the overall financial picture. And then we become really, really narrow to identify the, uh, you know, where the biggest gaps are, because that's exactly where we like to come in and say, Hey, um, you know, we notice that transportation plays a key role in your life, but we also notice that you are highly underfunded here. We can help you there. Hmm. Right. That's, that's how we actually help move the needle by dissecting the situation so well, um, that, that we can, uh, say, okay, it's right here where we can make the most, the most impact. Right. It sounds very student specific and it gives them that opportunity based on their, their, uh, situation. I have one final question and it's, it's for both of you. In entrepreneurship, um, do you think it's more important to be courageous or intelligent? Courageous. <laughs> it's funny. We were just talking about this yesterday. I don't believe I'm specifically uh, more talented or smarter than anyone, to be honest with you. Um, I think my competitive advantage as a person is uh, I'm going to show up every day. <laughs> and uh, no matter what happens, and I think that's the game you're playing. Um, actually, I'm pretty confident that's the game at, at, at an early stage, at least, uh, because you're constantly making proximate bets with little data. And uh, you're constantly facing the fact that you're going to be wrong, <laughs> but you're going to get a little smarter every time. Um, and uh, that takes a lot of, you know, that takes you to be courageous because um, a lot of times, especially if you go through, you know, being a successful professional where you do have a lot of data in front of you and or you go through like the college system where like there's clear right and wrong answers um that's going to be different for you <laughs> um so there's a little bit of an adjustment to make and there's a little bit of like humble pie to eat and uh and some people struggle with that so i would say being courageous uh taking an insight trusting your instincts and continuing to to move forward based on the feedback that you're getting is the key i have a slightly different take on this uh <laughs> so in in my case when i think about someone who is courageous and starting a business i don't i don't think they necessarily think about how courageous they are they just they just do it <laughs> um and and that's because they're just naturally organically driven to build something um so they don't they don't necessarily think about um you know all the potential consequences immediately so it's just a natural transition in many cases um when I think about intelligence, I think about the way I interpret that is uh, maybe emotional intelligence or personal intelligence at a level that, you know, you understand yourself really well. You're very self-aware uh, and you understand what is required to, um, you know, adapt to the situation. Um, in my opinion, um, one of the most valuable skills in this particular stage of the business is having a very open mind. Um, because if you are enamored by this idea of building a business that looks exactly how you're, 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 you envision it, then it's, it's, you know, I don't think it's a, <laughs> it's a realistic, uh, you know, perspective because most likely tomorrow you're going to talk to someone new and you're going to learn something completely new. And, and then your, your business idea is, is going to change entirely. Um, <laughs> so 
having a a being very malleable mentally uh being open to different perspectives being open to uh working with uh you know someone that you just met or that you don't know really well uh, understanding your your strengths and and your weaknesses all of that i think takes a lot of self awareness which in a way is uh is is a form of intelligence i think This has been an episode of Seeking Startups. I'm your host, Maxim Davis, and thank you for listening to the whole show. Make sure to subscribe and share this episode. Once again, if you're interested in investing in this company, you can find a link to their fundraising page in the description below. Before I let you go, if you're a founder who is interested in getting highlighted on the show, email me at maxim at seekingstartups.com. Thank you, and until next time, keep investing in the future.